Welcome to the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Jessica Chiam, Founder and Managing Director of Eco Business, and this week we're talking about the very important but undercovered topic of healthcare and sustainability. Climate change is a global crisis that is posing rising health threats around the world. But if it were a country, the global healthcare sector would be the fifth largest emitter of greenhouse gases. Not great for a few that promises to do no harm. With disposable masks and other healthcare-related trash appearing in our streets and oceans, are we swapping one problem for another? My guest today is Victoria Haldane, a researcher with the Centre for Sustainable Health Systems and also a PhD candidate at the Institute of Health Policy, Management and Evaluation at the University of Toronto. Victoria is a founding member of Emerging Leaders for Environmental Sustainability in Healthcare, which advocates for interdisciplinary action towards low-carbon, high-quality healthcare. Hi, Victoria. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'd like to start with the elephant in the room. Why is healthcare and sustainability not an issue we hear often in the media or on global healthcare forums, given how important this topic is? Yeah, so I think first, we more often hear about the health effects caused by climate and environmental change, some of which you have previously mentioned. And then second, by extension, we hear about the role that healthcare plays as really first responders to these intersecting crises that are driven by climate and environmental change. So often the focus of conversations when it comes to healthcare and climate change is really about those critical functions of responding and providing care. And then that being said, I think there's really a growing awareness in the public of hospitals as what we call anchor institutions. And these are institutions that play a vital role in communities. So really seeing the hospital as a source of social good and expecting that from healthcare institutions. So that's one thing, the way that communities view hospitals and the expectations put on them as anchor institutions is starting to change. And I think that we look to many organizations to be green and to be environmental stewards. And I think in some way that's starting to extend to healthcare. When we also think of healthcare, there's this high visibility of um, disposable items given COVID-19. And I think the next step in the conversation is that waste is necessary to maintain infection and prevention and control practices and to provide high quality cares, which to an extent is true, particularly with infectious diseases. But sometimes that waste is not necessary or rather a process generates waste and that process could be adapted to produce less waste. So there's some competing interests going on here in healthcare. And I think that for many people, even within the sector, issues of sustainability are really considered under the purview of facilities management. So really related to engineers, procurement and other technical areas, which is fair given that providing acute care in hospitals is really a carbon intensive practice. But recently there's been a big movement to look more holistically at the entire health system. That's super fascinating. Tell us a little bit more about the Centre for Sustainable Health Systems. What is this organization and what does it seek to achieve? Sure, so the Centre for Sustainable Health Systems is really focused on improving the sustainability of health systems and services. So that means thinking about how systems of health and care are designed, how services are delivered, and what or how products are used. So these are questions that users, providers, and managers grapple with every day. But more broadly, the Centre, which was envisioned after the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare in the UK, it really sees health systems as social institutions with a profound impact on communities and global supply chains in their roles as employers, buyers, and land and capital holders. So the Centre is really interested in leveraging the potential of health systems to promote health and health equity and to tackle the determinants of health. 
And then the center also seeks to inform change in a few key areas, which would be quality improvement, research and innovation, um, adaptive leadership, patient and community partnerships, as well as uh, policy and regulation. That's really interesting. And I'm so amazed that this center exists and is looking very specifically at these issues. Um, has there been anything in the last few years that have made you optimistic? Like, have you seen any progress made on the issue of healthcare and sustainability? I think the overall, the biggest progress is really the idea that we can strive for carbon neutral healthcare systems. This plays into really considering sustainability as a health systems issue that must be tackled through interdisciplinary action. So by all of the professions that go into making a health system, it's really the idea that delivering low carbon, high quality care is about everything from our facilities to our models of care to care delivery and beyond the hospital really into how our health system is set up. And of course, in the UK, the NHS is really leading the way with targets to be carbon neutral by 2040 which really has laid the gauntlet for health systems globally that this is a, something we must ambitiously work towards. And then I think from a public health perspective, I think there's been a lot of progress in thinking about how our cities and societies are really fundamentally set up. What things are we doing to keep people out of hospital and from requiring that carbon intensive care in the first place? Because if the healthcare sector were a country, it would be the fifth largest source of emissions globally. So from my perspective, as a public health and health systems researcher, I think there's a lot of work to be done in upstream prevention and promoting public health so that folks can lead healthy lives without really needing this high intensity, high emissions care that's traditionally de delivered in hospitals. You know, when I was listening to one of your previous talks, I was really amazed to hear that healthcare was the fifth largest emitter. And people talk about aviation, they talk about transport, but I had, you know, no idea that healthcare had such a huge footprint. And I think you've, you know, spoken about the supply chain as well as the logistics sector. And um, it's really encouraging, like you said, you know, to see NHS uh, putting down uh, carbon neutrality targets for hospitals. But do you think there are any existing guidelines that are helping hospitals or the health sector to achieve those targets when you know perhaps you know not such ambitious targets are being present I'm thinking about Asia here yeah I think that there's a lot of hospital scorecards that have come out that specifically look at emissions from the facilities themselves but I think where we need to see a lot of effort put in is looking at frameworks or ways of thinking that can help us to reduce the emissions in the healthcare supply chain, which make up 71% of healthcare's emission, only 17% of healthcare emission comes from healthcare facilities and vehicles, and 12% is from indirect emissions from purchased energy. So I think it's really looking into how we can better optimize our supply chain. And part of that, in my perspective, is really bringing care into communities so that things are more um, able to reach the people that need them in an efficient and well thought out way. Absolutely. I think we're seeing that I think, to an extent with COVID-19 um, and, you know, kind of telemedicine coming out and actually, you know, help saving emissions. And I hope to see, see more of that. I want to come back to a point that you raised earlier, right, which is this very delicate balance that you have to uh, think about when you think about high quality healthcare um, and the environmental footprint, because obviously single use uh, plastics or single use disposable items is prevalent in healthcare because you have to have that um, assurance that things are, are clean but you know do you think that you know concepts like the circular economy for example can be applied to healthcare um, have you seen some emerging solutions which are promising that can really help the healthcare sector um, reduce its environmental footprint? 
from my understanding, I do think it is possible. I just think it will require a lot of transformation. And the health sector is quite risk averse. As you mentioned, there are a lot of tensions when it comes to infection prevention and control, of course, cost, patient safety. But there is a lot of room for innovation, especially when it comes to buying processes and purchasing policies, especially when we're thinking of pre-owned equipment like MRIs, some of these big, highly specialized medical equipment that some facilities may not be able to afford or, or have access to. So there's some innovations going on in that area. I think we also have to look into our designs around our processes um, on equipment and sterilization facilities within hospitals. So what items can be safely sterilized and reused on site? And for example, right now in some facilities, uh, instruments can be reused, but they're sent off site to be sterilized and processed and then returned back. So this is where it gets into these interesting um, studies that need to be done in terms of life cycle assessments. And when we're deciding what processes to use or what options to take, if we're thinking of from an environmental sustainability lens, we really have to look at the system and the big picture. But I really think there's a lot of value in blending these questions of clinical effectiveness and clinical safety with questions of what is the whole impact of this choice we're going to make when it comes to the environment. So actually, when we think of surgery, for example, safe surgery requires anesthesia, right? And the anesthetic gases though, they're halogenated gases. They are greenhouse gases and they hang out in the troposphere for a very long time. Now, the two major anesthetic gases used, desflurane and sevoflurane, Desflurane is way worse for the environment. It's a heavier gas, sticks around for a lot longer. But between them, clinically, there's really no difference in their use. They're both safe. So one is a purely, has a purely environmental benefit. And what a lot of hospitals have done, a lot of um, anesthesiologists have advocated for using sevoflurane over desoflurane, and they've done these amazing education campaigns in their departments. They've stuck stickers onto their anesthesia um, devices. So the machines that actually provide the uh, gases to the patient, they stick it and say, you know, use sevoflurane, and it's a picture of a green tree. Wow. And so that's that bottom up action. Now, some health facilities have taken it a step further and done the top down support I was talking about, where they have stopped procuring desflurane. Wow. So it's not even an option. You do, the behavioral nudge is not available to you. The <laughs> facility itself has made the decision, has made an environmental decision. That's super fascinating. I'm really glad to hear the researchers are thinking about these issues because they are so important. You know, it reminds me of this organization that we have in Asia here called Healthcare Without Harm. And basically in this region, they advocate for green hospitals. And in Singapore itself, we have a hospital called Kute Pot Hospital uh, that has won numerous awards that recognize, um, you know, the, the, the role of green hospitals in patient recovery and in staff well-being. Um, why don't we see more of these green hospitals around the world? I mean, what defines a hospital as green and what do you think are some of the main obstacles uh, for hospitals you know kind of achieving that absolutely I love that you mentioned Kutik Pot I spent um, many a day there in my former work life in Singapore so it's a really inspiring facility and they provide a great level of care so Healthcare Without Harm is also another fabulous organization and they're actually worldwide so I'm a big follower of all of the work they do globally and typically the concept of green hospitals to my understanding is really rooted in this facilities and infrastructure dimension of healthcare. 
So I had mentioned some of the healthcare scorecards previously. And for example, the Canadian Coalition for Green Healthcare has a hospital green scorecard. And it's really a comprehensive healthcare benchmarking tool. And it looks, they usually um, look at things like energy conservation, water conservation, waste management, and recycling, corporate commitment, and pollution prevention. So generally, a green hospital is one that is energy saving, resource conserving, efficient, and strategically managed with both environmental and quality of care goals in mind. And for me, the really interesting thing, um, I think we see a spectrum of organizations that are trying to reach these goals. So I think it's less black and white as to what's a green hospital and what's not a green hospital. I think there's a lot of, especially within the wards, a lot of initiatives going on in terms of recycling and you know proper waste sorting. So to my mind, if, a, if that's happening on an individual ward, then your hospital's on its way to being a green hospital. The mindset is there. And I'm particularly interested in these hospitals that see themselves as an anchor institution with a social and environmental responsibility lens embedded into their strategic planning. So really striving for that bottom up, supporting the bottom up transformation with top down support and creating that culture of sustainability, because I think that's what takes it to the next level of, you know, not piecemeal projects, a really holistic view of what it means to be providing a social and environmental good in your community. Mm, absolutely. You know, I think you sit at a very interesting intersection because you're based in Canada now, but you lived in Asia for many years and you're also familiar with Singapore's healthcare system. What do you think this region can learn from yours where you are now and vice versa? I think there's actually a lot that Canada can learn from Singapore specifically in terms of a prevention mindset and to take a societal approach to preventing ill health. So I'm in our conversation, I keep coming back to the systems approach and this prevention approach, because really the ultimate way to reduce the environmental footprint of hospitals is to reduce the people who need to be in hospital. And we see that now with the pandemic, like, yes, there is a lot of single use um, disposable masks, PPE being used. But to my mind, the real burden is when we have unmitigated community spread and transmission of COVID requiring a high level of ICU usage, like here in Toronto. When your ICU is full, that's a very carbon intensive process. And I think that's where we need to get, you know, we need to think of responses and ways that kind of move away from needing to use the ICU, prevention, prevention, prevention. Mm. Um, so when I think back to Singapore and a lot of the approaches to prevention, treatment and management of diabetes, for example, you really see that there's this multi-sectoral action to promote health and well-being in the community. So I think to realize a vision of prevention as a way to reduce carbon intensive care in the Canadian context, we really do need to address the social determinants of health and take a more multi-sectoral approach and put health in all policies. And then thinking the other way around, and it's something that I'm actively advocating for here as well, so I won't say it's something that's done and dusted in the Canadian context by any means, but I really think it's embedding this information and this mindset into health sciences and health professions curricula, and then bringing everybody to the table. So CEOs, managers, health workers, allied health professionals, trainees, patients and caregivers. Climate change is the greatest threat to health and well-being of the 21st century and really our emerging healthcare leaders. We need to be prepared to respond and to create resilient health systems that no longer contribute to the crisis that we're trying to respond to and that we're really on the first line, the front lines of responding to. 
I think you make some very good points there and just not enough conversation is happening around, you know, the importance of integrating, you know, sustainability concerns with healthcare. And then the point that you made about um, ICU it being quite a carbon intensive effort, you know, that is something that I think people don't actually realize, right? And, and when we have conversations around healthcare, sustainability is ranked like such a low priority. And um, given that we want to, you know, hit the target to be carbon neutral by the second half of the century, I definitely think that these conversations definitely need to happen. So thanks a lot for, for those perspectives. Um, I just want to pivot a little because I think coming from countries like Canada and Singapore, we are fortunate in that our healthcare systems are a little bit more developed. And obviously there are a lot more lower and middle income countries that are harder hit by the impacts of climate change, which at the same time also have less, relatively less developed healthcare systems. So do you have some perspectives on how we can help, you know, countries who are perhaps not, not as developed address this very important issue, even as they grapple with the pandemic? Yeah, um, I, I really think that I like to take a strengths-based approach to solutioning when it comes to climate change and, and healthcare and all of the intersecting crises that they kind of map onto. And I think a strength of many low and middle income countries is really their community health infrastructure. So there's a real focus on public health and primary care, preventive care, developed, delivered by community health workers who really know the local context. And obviously primary care should be the first point of entry into the health system. You shouldn't be going immediately into a carbon intensive hospital. So I think there's a lot we can actually learn from low and middle income countries when it comes to models of care that are closer to the community, that meet people where they are, that are truly preventive and holistic. And I think that when it comes to a facilities approach, I think it's really easy to you know, think of uh, lower middle income countries that may, as maybe having less developed facilities, but a real strength is the more developed community care processes that I think we can learn a lot from. You're absolutely right that the impacts of climate change are completely inequitable. And we have ample evidence that even within high income countries, the health impacts of climate change are far worse for oppressed and marginalized groups. So there are indigenous communities in Canada that have been on boil water advisory for decades. So I think these are calls to action that puts an even stronger impetus on high income countries to transform their health systems and really take on the agenda to decarbonize as a path towards equity, particularly if we're thinking of the ethos of healthcare as doing no harm. We really need to start grappling with these transboundary harms that the status quo really perpetuates. Yeah. Wow. That's, I, I think, you know, it really resonates with me when you said that actually there's a lot of uh, things that we can learn from low and middle income countries in the, in the way that they provide care. So I, I think that's really interesting. Um, just to kind of uh, go towards uh, the end of this podcast, I have a question for you and it's uh, something that we have covered extensively and it's sometimes controversial and that is really divestment. Um, you know, according to the Global Green and Healthy Hospitals Network, about 85% of healthcare's global primary energy consumption comes from fossil fuel and as you know you know there have been a global there's been a global movement um, towards divesting it started from the academic institutions uh, and it's now seeming to you know kind of um, infect the healthcare institutions if I can use that pun and you have written about this issue so can we hear from you how how has this progressed and do you think that this is something that will catch on 
So a lot of the action in this area is actually really being driven by healthcare workers. So talking about that bottom up movement and it's really healthcare workers advocating for their associations. So for example, the Canadian Medical Association or the British Medical Association, a lot of really great doctors have led the charge in divesting from fossil fuels, um, getting pension funds uh, to divest from fossil fuels. But there's fewer examples of healthcare institutions like hospitals or health uh, networks that have divested. Um, and these institutions, particularly in high income countries though, they have large endowments. One hospital here in Toronto has an endowment in excess of 1 billion Canadian dollars, which is roughly equivalent-ish in Singapore dollars. And that's really a huge amount to have invested in a vulnerable market like uh there's risk associated with fossil fuel driven portfolios that is becoming more and more apparent and then when we loop back to the idea of healthcare as an anchor institution in communities then it's even more of an imperative that these institutions divest from industries that ultimately perpetuate social and environmental harms so i think partially there's a looking at what your portfolio is going to accomplish over the coming decades aspect to it and a moral imperative again. And I think a lot of the change is really being driven by young professionals or older professionals who are realizing that we need to look at, um, look at prevention and look at where our money is going in many different ways and divestment is an important one of them. So I hope yeah. it catches on. <laughs> No, I think it would because there's been so much, you know, conversations around that and, and with the world kind of transitioning to a low carbon economy, I think that's unavoidable. But it's wonderful to hear how much attention has been placed on the issue and certainly more attention needs to be placed on it, actually. So, you know, with an eye on the time, I just have one last question for you. If you had a magic wand, what would be on the top of your list that of, that you think we can do to ensure that our healthcare systems are aligned with the health of people and our planet? So this is a two-parter magic wand. So <laughs> one, one, I would hope that everyone would have access to high quality primary healthcare that's delivered in their communities and funded by universal health coverage. So no one goes without the care they need. And then two, I'd want that care to be delivered as part of a system that prioritizes prevention and keeping people from ever needing carbon intensive care in the first place. Wonderful. That was very succinctly put. And thank you so much for our perspectives. I have learned so much today. It's been a really wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you so much for being our guest. Um, thank you for listening to the EB podcast. For more coverage on these issues and more, check out our website, www.ecobusiness.com and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or Spotify. Our podcast editor is Benjamin Wong. I'm Jessica Chiang. Stay tuned for our next podcast. Till next time.